You're listening to The Drive with Joe on 770 CHQR. Refurbished podcast renamed to align with the show. Gone is Calgary today, ushering in the drive on 770 CHQR. As I said, to open things up back on Monday, not only is it a place to listen while you're going about your afternoon commute, but I'm a big fan of the name from the standpoint of my drive to tell the community stories, to get to the heart of the matters that affect all of you on a daily basis, and a drive to have some fun along the way. While the show sounds a little different, the opinions and insights aren't going to change. With that being said, every week we'll come back with a podcast highlighting some of the things that have gone on over the course of the week to provide some context, thoughtfulness, and inspiration to get you caught up on what you might have missed and get you ready to roll for the weekend. So this week we'll be talking about what some restaurant owners and employees are seeing as they've been reopening under the new COVID-19 rules. We'll check in with Calgary's not-for-profit sector And we'll hear from a young Calgary man who made an impassioned presentation at City Hall for Council's Anti-Racism Committee. We'll start things off this week with an uplifting conversation with Akeem Haynes, the very first guest on our very first drive together. I want to start off, Akeem, with a pretty simple question here, and that is, what does the word drive mean to you? Um, It means effort. You know, I think a lot of things stimulate at the core of effort you know i'm a firm believer that effort has you know changes situations you know you got to put effort into your career your profession whatever you want to do you got to put effort into it whether it's marriage whether it's a partner you got to put effort into it and effort is one of those things where there's no gray area for me you're either going to give a hundred percent of the effort or you're not but when you do something with half effort you kind of get half results you can only blame yourself for that so when i think drive man i just think continuous effort towards a direction and obviously in the midst of this covid19 pandemic there's been a lot of opportunity i think for the average everyday person to sit there and go i can double down on some things now i can put that effort towards something have you been able to take that moment Absolutely. You know, one of the things I've been having to put some effort towards is uh, my siblings' French French schoolwork. You know, my uh, my French skills are 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 a little away from me from <laughs> from the high school times. So you know, I've just I've I've really just had to adjust. I'm a person who. Um, I always kind of stay in preparation for when things go wrong. So I kind of am already a step ahead. So one of the things that I've just been doing is just putting continuous effort into myself a little bit more because now you got a little bit more time. You know, I had about six, seven gigs that was, you know, that was canceled because of COVID. So I kind of had to dig deep within myself and say, okay, Kim, you can't control that, but what can you do? Let's dial back and make sure we're pouring into you so you can give the effort in the other areas. You know, as, as you know, you know, kids, kids require a lot. Mm. (laughs) They require a lot. (laughs) Honestly, one of the things that I, I heard recently that I went, yeah, that's actually really true is a lot of people are calling this the great pause, that great opportunity for all of us to kind of take that step back, take that deep breath, because I think we got caught in a bit of a rat race. Do you, do you yes. get the sense that this is a this is a great opportunity for that? Yes, you know, you know, right now, Joe. Like, I really think we're in we're in a storm, right? I'm a firm believer that 
a person is either going into a storm, you're either in the middle of one or you're coming out of one. You know, we all want to be coming out of it. But once you enter the storm, you should not be the same once you get out of it. Right. So something is going to change. Something is going to shift. But I think along the storm and what COVID has kind of been teaching us is it, it the storm is going to force you to realign your values, realign what's really important. And it's going to realign to see what is going on inside of your head. You see, when we're in a busy schedule so many different times, we don't really have time to really think about, man, like, are we okay? Like, what's going on inside ourselves? Because we're just like, we got to do this today. We got to do this tomorrow. We got to make sure this is intact. So we don't really hear what's being said inside of our voices. So we don't know if we're stressed out or if we're discouraged. We don't know these different things. And I think this is kind of, this whole thing is kind of telling us, look, you know, we got to put a little bit more priority into ourselves so we can kind of be what we need. So it's kind of more of a redirection to what's really important is what I really think that, you know, COVID is kind of teaching us. In the midst of a pandemic, we've also had the Black Lives Matter movement really take full steam again. And I I wonder, from your perspective, what has it meant to you to see this conversation restarted and to maybe be able to talk about it in a more holistic way, given that we do have this pause upon us? You know, I'm a person who has dealt with, you know, incidents and things like that on, you know, a couple of different spectrums. You know, I went to school in America. I went to school in probably two, one of the most historical racist states in America, in Kansas and Alabama, you know? Mm. So I dealt with it. I dealt with it firsthand. So I know what it's like. I know what it feels like. And I know what it's like to have these emotions and this, and this anger towards something. But I'm also a firm believer that it takes more than, more than marching three weeks, four weeks for change to happen. You know, we got to march every single day and I love it, you know, but I always tell the young guys that I mentor in America, I'm like, look, the best way to march, the best way to make your voice heard is to continue doing it every single day in different ways. Right. Some people aren't at the front of things, but they may be in different areas as far as like, you know, I'm going to go in the classroom and learn about politics. I'm going to go over here and learn about this. we got to continue to educate ourselves and be able to speak different languages. So when we get inside the room and they say, okay, how can we fix this? You have your historical facts and you have all these things already entwined because you've been preparing and working towards it. You know, so it's great to see and I just always urge everybody that, you know, we got to continue marching. You know, change doesn't happen with just marching from three, four days. You know, change happened with Martin Luther King because he was marching 365 days out of the year. Then when the Rosa Parks situation happened, that was already a year that he's been marching. And it just so happened that during that time, they already had structure behind it. Then they had to make a decision at that time. So for me, it's just we got to continue educating ourselves and continue continue allowing our voice to be heard in a positive way, but also educating ourselves every step of the way. One of the things that I remember hearing from you when you spoke at the the Dome during the Be Brave game was the idea of resilience and being able to uh, rise above some of those things that stand in your way, such as racism. How did you manage to overcome things like that? Well, I realized that early that life isn't fair and 
we all don't get dealt the same cards, right? Like some of us, like we're, we don't control how we were born into this world. So evidently some of us have better starts than others, right? Whether it's, you know, maybe you're born to two parents and one person isn't like, there's just that, that, that those different elements to it. But for me, you know, I've always kind of just been stubborn in the sense of you aren't going to tell me what isn't possible. I'm going to figure it out on my own. And I also knew what I was up against. I know you got to know what you're up against so you can find the necessary mindset to be able to overcome it. So for me, um, I kind of just say, okay, you know, there may be a little bit of friction, but I got to work twice as hard. And because I've had to work twice as hard, I'm more equipped to work and to attain it. So, you know, it's kind of, um, it's kind of one of those things as cliche as it may sound is, you know, you got to work harder than the average person in that sense. And that's kind of how I do things. Akeem Haynes joining us here on the program. He have many, many, many hats as we talk a little motivation Monday, among many other things. And Akeem, before the break, you were talking about um, marching. And I know you were talking both figuratively and literally in the midst of Black Lives Matter and, and standing up for oneself and in a bit of a trying time. But I get the sense as well in hearing what you're talking about is uh, taking this pause as, as a, a bit of an uh, an opportunity i suppose to um talk about those marches talk pervert, uh, both uh from from both standpoints is to be able to understand each other have a little bit of empathy for each other yeah yeah exactly right you know i'm talking about you know marching as a whole whether it's physically or marching behind the scenes you know everybody has a part to take everybody has a part to do and you know it's it's very important that in this world right now, I think so many times, you know, we just want to respond, right? Most people just want to respond because, you know, they've been hearing this or they're hearing that. But there's a big difference between listening and listening to understand. You know, I think so many times you can listen and not understand what's being said. And it goes through one year out the other. More times than none during this moment is very important that, you know, for the people who want to help Black Lives Matter and to want to help black people, it's very important to listen to what's being said. You don't necessarily have to agree with everything, but you got to understand where they're coming from. If you don't understand where someone is coming from, how can you see and help them to where they're trying to go? And so that's 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 one of those things, man. We got to we got to continue to listen and to listen without trying to respond, but listen to understand and listen to help comply and apply and progress and move forward in the direction that, you know, will bring the society and, and everybody as a whole together. I know there's been a lot of attention paid to some of the, the negative storylines around what's been going on lately, but I'm wondering, has there been stories that you have been personally inspired by, those stories that have um, really shone a light on how people are actually willing to have this conversation and to be willing to uh, move it forward? Yeah, you know, it's... <laughs> the media especially especially in america i mean i don't i don't i don't follow media and, and news like that per se over there but there's so many negative aspect of things that's kind of all you see mm -hmm. but you know i have seen and i feel 
I feel bad for the, the, the good police officers out there who are doing good works, you know, who are really trying to make a change in their communities and are really making an impact in the community and really thriving for that oneness that, you know, we hopefully one day can aspire to have in the sense of all in one accord. You know, so I've seen some stories of, you know, I've seen some officers play basketball with the community and it may seem like that's not a big deal, but man, people are scared when they see police officers, right? But when they can see them playing basketball or just walking or, or, or things like that, as small as it can be, it's those small candles that are being lit and it can be passed on to other areas, to other countries, to other cities, right? So when I see stuff like that, I'm like, you know what, that is the hope that we aspire to have. And it gives me hope for what can be while we work for and work with what is right now. He is, without a doubt, one of our community's candles, Akeem Haynes. Thanks so much for joining us on the show this afternoon. It's a pleasure, man. Whatever you need, I'm always here, man. I got a lot of appreciation and respect for what you're doing, man. You, you yourself, you're a light in many different ways. According to our next guest, industry staff and restaurants and bars are at a level 10 stressed right now he took to facebook over the last 24 hours or so to voice his concerns about what he's seeing steven deer joining us the owner of modern steak steven thanks so much for joining us because i wanted to expand a little bit on your post because it has been a few weeks and we've been talking about the different phases of reopening with the alberta's economy and that kind of thing and i wanted to know what's it been like from your perspective as you watched your restaurant uh not just from an employee standpoint but also from uh from a customer standpoint as well well, I guess the, the the long and short of it is, in the beginning, um, it was going really well. And as we progressed, things have slowly started deteriorating. And, uh, and what I mean by that is we're kind of getting used to, again, the new normal. And this term new normal every week, it's a new normal. However, we're forgetting that there's still rules in place. And some guests, um, not only in my restaurants and other restaurants, are... Um, not following the rules and it's creating some issues um, for the restaurants. Talk a little bit about some of those issues, maybe the unusual, as you posted, the unacceptable and entitled behaviors that you're starting to see. Yeah. Yeah. So the big thing, I guess, is that um, the majority, I want to stress, the majority of our guests and and guests in general have been phenomenal. They understand that things are going to take a little bit longer. There's kind of different procedures. You know, whoever thought we would have, you know, one-way traffic systems in a restaurant, you know, that's not a thing that we're always flying by each other. So what, some of the issues that we've kind of had right now is that people are um, kind of um, really demanding certain things that right now we don't have the ability to do as well as we used to. And that's causing some issues. Um, people have favorite tables, um, for example, or they would like to a, a table somewhere in a certain section. Um, those tables may not exist in many restaurants because of the social distancing rules. Or the bigger factor is that, you know, many restaurants have had to put in time limits because there is a fair amount of demand, especially if you're a restaurant that has a beautiful patio, that, you know, two, a, a table of two would be done in under two hours. And people are upset that there's time limits, not understanding that not only does the restaurant have to try to accommodate um, the amount of volume they have, they also have to be feasible. And when we're at 50% capacity, um, we need to be able to get that extra um, turn in our restaurants to keep things going. 
lastly, there's a little bit of the mask issue and, you know, how people are portraying that and how some people are have asked if the server cannot serve with a mask, um, which obviously um, that's an impossibility for us. So there's those are just some of the issues. There's some more crazier issues that guests feel entitled that we had a recent complaint. And this one I put in the, in the in my book of funny complaints is that the guest was upset that the candle was blowing out on their crab. Um, but they showed up at two o'clock on Saturday when we had a big wind and rainstorm. So, you know, there's a, there's certain worries of, uh, you know, you have to give us a little bit of leeway. And I guess at the end of the day, what we're asking for is a little, little bit of patience and a little bit of love towards the serving staff because it has become super stressful on them. And, um, we've had one person in our business that has, uh, has quit just because of the stress of, um, some guest reactions and how things have been going. And I've heard from a couple of my other, um, owners and restaurant tour friends that this is actually becoming more commonplace that people are deciding to quit to, because they don't want to be dealing with people's behavior right now. And that's, a, and that's a shame. And I would, that's why I'm really here to speak on this. How challenging is that side of trying to be empathetic towards the customer because that's who you're trying to please at the end of the day, but you also want to make sure it's being done um, in a respectful manner as well from their standpoint as well? Yeah, it's always a rock and a hard place in the hospitality industry. Um, we we understand we are in the service industry and that means we are at service to the guests that's in front of us and we want to do everything to um, make sure that they have the absolute best experience um, possible. What's happening right now is that we're kind of living in the memory of the past of how things used to be and how I used to get it and how I could, you know, there's, um, you know, the good memories of how it was. And those have really changed due to certain procedures. Um, restaurants that are doing it properly and sanitizing the tables properly have to use basically what we call a one minute bacterial wipe. So the table is wiped and then it has to dry for a minute before the guests can sit there. Well, if you're doing, you know, 150 tables in a night, that's 150 extra minutes that weren't there before. So that's going to slow things down. And there's, and so, you know, for the most part, people are rational and they will uh, accept um, the reasoning why things are a certain way. And then there are those who do not. And uh, basically, um, cause a scene kind of within the restaurant it becomes difficult on that staff member and the other big one is that when there are other tables around it also makes them uncomfortable too the sad part is uh, we had an incident about a week ago um, where a guest was out of line and a little bit loud and uh, basically decided to leave and the restaurant started applauding when they left. So it's, we can't control these types of situations. And I think that shows that people are being lenient and showing some tolerance and patience towards what's going on. And then you have the exception to the rule. And it's really a couple of bad apples are spoiling the bunch, but we don't want to see things get anywhere where they are in the States. That's why we're doing a lot of these procedures to make sure everything is safe so we can have an industry that can keep going. Well, and as somebody who owns restaurants, who's been in the business of that customer service, the other aspect is is you're at the service of your employees. And the last thing you want to do is set that tone for them saying, yeah, that's acceptable. Exactly. I think it's, it's very important to say that the employees are the lifeblood of our business. Our team members are the ones that allow us to conduct business and give our guests a great experience. And you have to remember that they're, everyone is under stress. Um, our guests are under stress. 
the employees under stress and this can sometimes lead to that powder keg situation when little things set someone off and that's why we just say again we're asking for a little bit of um, patience and, and and love um, and come out and enjoy the experience um, and one thing i can say is that if you don't feel comfortable coming out right now don't you know, going out with a negative mindset is going to lead to a negative experience, no matter how good things are. And I think it's better for people that they feel comfortable and are ready to come back and, and enjoy an experience than come back with trepidation and a negative mindset coming to restaurants. Because that's where we see most of the issues stemming is that people are not comfortable coming back and they put themselves in an environment and then anything can set them off. And on the flip side, I know at the very end you said keep sharing your good stories as well because it's important to not just highlight the bad ones, but obviously you've probably had some pretty fantastic ones. Um, Yeah, there's um, part of it. The very first uh, week there, I, I, I never thought I would see this, but we actually had guests in the restaurant thanking us with a tear in their eye that they're so happy to be able to come back and support and they're so happy to for us to see them and take care of them and they were craving a certain dish and it was like these heartwarming experiences some people um again have if there was ever if there was an issue of anything we have patios so rain has been a very big issue and moving people around that's always very stressful and they and they have the attitude of take your time we you know these things happen everything's okay we're just so happy to be here and and truly um a lot of um guests have been using this term called covid covid tipping where they said normally i tip you know 20 percent, but i'm tipping between you know 20 and 40 percent now i'm trying because i know that you guys have the tables and the servers are trying to make money so i want to tip more so and we've had a ton of that too so there there are so many great people that have been um such good supporters of us and the industry as a whole and are doing um great things to make the team feel great and have a great experience in the restaurant and then going above and beyond in the tip and you know i think those are the large majority um the reason again that we bring up this whole story is that there's been these bad apples that are popping up more and more lately and we're trying to get the word out that you know we the the businesses are how are actually being held to a higher standard than the actual um guests so we have certain things that we have to follow to make sure that they have a good time and it may not feel like normal but it's for everyone's best interest a little empathy and understanding can go a long way. I appreciate you shedding a little bit of light into the situation within your restaurants. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us here on the show this afternoon. Thank you again for having me. Speaking of pressure, our not-for-profits and our voluntary organizations here in this city and across this country have been under a boatload of it, just like everybody else. And so I want to get a bit of a State of the Union address from Calgary Chamber of Voluntary Organizations Interim President and CEO Karen Ball. Karen, welcome to the program. Give us a little bit of a sense as to what the last few months have been like for you and your member organizations. It's been challenging. I think it's fair to say it's been challenging for everyone across the province and across Calgary. You know, there's 176,000 people that are employed in our nonprofit sector in Alberta. So it's an industry comparable to the, um, well, it's more than manufacturing in Alberta. It's more than oil and gas and mining and forestry. It's a, a major industry. And so while those people have been experiencing the same thing that I think 
all Albertans and Calgarians have been experiencing around um, fear about their job security, uh, trying to figure out how to work next next to a refrigerator and not gain 100 pounds, you know, <laughs> all of the, all of the small and big things. They've also uh, particularly been on the front line. Mm-hmm. So providing the services that um, people that have always relied upon them from vulnerable communities to provide and now more and more people every day. And then there are sectors in the nonprofit world that watch their entire earned revenue potential for one to two years disappear overnight. Those in the culture sector, the sporting sporting and recreation and experience side of things. So it has been Challenging is a word we use a lot, but I think it's a word we can definitely use in this regard. And you're kind of flying by the seat of your pants, too, because as you mentioned, you're dealing with the day-to-day. I mean, the pause button hasn't been hit on that yet, and so a lot of people are are dealing with the ebbs and flows on a, current, on a day-to-day basis, and, and you have to meet those needs. That's right. So being prepared for an emergency and being resilient is something that we're talking about a lot, but I think that one of the things that we realize is that, you know, when we look to a sector like corporate Calgary, um, they can do a lot in terms of employability. But when your employees don't have work and um, you're dealing with this much stress and, a, and um, the emotions that come with what COVID has presented for all of us, I think then you have to recognize that where we thought we had stability, maybe we don't. And where we haven't often recognized that we do have stability, it's there. So, you know, this is this is sort of the story we're telling ourselves about the people that are working in our grocery stores and in our pharmacies. Um, but it's also people working in our homeless shelters and our food banks and on the other end of call lines to help people in every regard in their daily life right now. Are you finding that a lot of these organizations are trying to think outside the box now? They're trying to pivot in a way in which they can better serve the community while doing it in a more efficient way so that they can uh, help as many people as they possibly can? Yeah, we're seeing massive innovation in the sector, like everything from the you know arts and culture sector doing curbside concerts to um, the Leftovers Foundation Uh, rescuing food from restaurants and redistributing it across the city. Um, The small and nimble nonprofits are able to really respond um, where they can. But on the other hand, we're also seeing that these are organizations often we're learning in Alberta that have lost 65% of their earned income and 77% of their fundraising income. So yes, we're pivoting. Yes, we're innovative. Yes, we're able to be responsive. And uh, we need to be able to have the space to do that. And some organizations simply don't have those luxuries right now. So it's a mixed bag, I would say. How challenging is it to try to maybe pave that road forward and yet you don't necessarily know what next week is going to bring, let alone six months from now, a year from now, when you want to be kind of creating that new post-COVID business plan? Yeah, it's a great time to be using to think about the future. And I think a lot of organizations that haven't been on the front line have the opportunity to think about what recovery means in a little bit more space and time. Uh, Certainly, we see that our province has put out a recovery plan. And um, one of the things that we're recognizing at the Calgary Chamber of Voluntary Organizations is that 
we need a strategy that is a strategy for the nonprofit or as I like to call it social profit sector working with the private sector working with government that is about resiliency and is also about recognizing what we can do for the vibrancy of this province moving forward so we are looking at that now I think that um, in all of the recovery conversation we have, we tend to really focus it on the economy and jobs. These are the things that affect people in their daily lives. But we also need to focus it on the things that are down the street and around the corner from us. How our neighbors are able to put food on their table, where we go for childcare, um, how we get served when we're sick. These are also things that need to be part of a strategy for recovery in the province. And we're looking forward to taking those next steps. How do you take that first step to get to that point? Well, I think first you have to recognize that although many sectors have seen incredible impacts from COVID-19, it's likely that the private sector, although it will re-emerge looking different, it will re-emerge and, and likely a little bit faster than the social profit sector. So I think the first thing we need to do is say, look, we have a sector here that we've been leaning on heavily over the past series of months to carry us forward. And this is a sector that has the ability to, if we recover quickly, and if we think about resiliency in the long term, to be a real benefit for all Albertans in their daily lives, but also a serious and significant part of how we recover and how we maintain our Alberta advantage. We've always talked about an Alberta advantage in this province, and we usually relate it to, you know, good paying jobs and low taxes. But I think we have a third leg on that stool of Alberta advantage, which is quality of life. And as we talk about how we attract business into our province, as we talk about how we diversify our economy, as we talk about how we recover in a, in a way that is new for the future, we have to think about what our social advantage is here. And if we can recover fast in terms of the social profit sector, we can be leading with that. Because Alberta is a really phenomenal place to live. I mean, everyone that lives in Calgary is going to give you three or four or five things that make Calgary great that are beyond an opportunity to get a job. And we want to be part of that conversation. So I think the first thing is being at the table when we talk about recovery from every perspective. And the second thing is recognizing that this is a sector that is going to need support to recover like every sector. And we haven't quite seen the same level of investment support at the same time as we're seeing donations and other kinds of earned revenue diminishing. So we do need to be able to see investment in the recovery of this sector so that we can recover quickly and very strongly to be able to be part of that next wave of Alberta Advantage. When you look at what kinds of supports can be made available and whether it's in the monetary side of things or maybe it's just in terms of being able to facilitate some of these bigger conversations, what do you think needs to happen over the next little while to maintain that viability of some of the organizations that serve with the CCVO? Well, we are in the middle of building what we think are a suite of recommendations, both for government, for the private sector and for ourselves to ensure that um, we will strategically address how we move forward together. 
but I can tell you that um, investment is a part of that, of course. So encouraging um, ways for private sector investment to happen, for individuals to be invested in the work that the social profit sector does. Um, relying on government to recognize that resiliency within the sector is going to require some level of, of intervention investment. Um, but also capacities. So if a, a company has the ability to provide tech support, then I think that's one of the things that we should be talking about doing to help people migrate their programs online. Um, if nonprofit organizations have the ability to work together to increase efficiencies, I think we should be talking about that. Um, so we have to look at it. It's not a one and done solution. We have to look at it as a complex system of recommendations where everybody works towards that common goal. Always appreciate the time, Karen. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show this afternoon. My pleasure. Take care. You as well. Karen Ball, uh, Interim President and CEO with Calgary Chamber of Voluntary Organizations. We paint a little bit of a picture here on your drives. story from Aurelio Perry during uh, Haley's major news at five o'clock and it's been about the updates around the number of people who have come forward uh, speaking at the anti-racism uh, committee meeting at City Hall and one of those who was a very impassioned uh, conversation piece was with a, a young man 26 year old Calgary born and raised Adam Messiah who joins us now in the program and Adam I wanted to start off with a bit of that story that Aurelio was talking about I want to hear it from your own words here um, tell us about the first time you experienced racism uh, hey thanks for having me on the show um, mm -hmm. what I was talking about to counsel about is the first time I experienced racism like I said I was born and raised in Calgary um, the first time I can really recollect it was actually in my own classroom um, similar uh to other things that i've experienced in, in 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 later parts of my life but i was in grade five actually and we were focusing on a book that was called slave dancer that was supposed to be focused on black history but the book itself wasn't actually touching on any topics of black history it was written from a white narrative about a slave uh uh, 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 uh artist that was caught on a slave ship that had to make his way all the way back to his household and before we started reading the book, my teacher at the time, she decided to stop the entire class and say, hey, listen, there's a word that's going to be said in this book, and I'm going to say it once, and I never want to hear it. any of you say it again. And she decided to blurt out the N-word to a group of kids who are 10 years old. Uh, in grade five, you don't really have the ability to understand the context of that word. There was no more history said behind the word. There was no, no, no more no more back up behind it to tell everybody that how hurtful and how much this word has really held people like myself down for hundreds and hundreds of years and um it really did impact the way that my 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 schooling went for the next couple of years after that literally she taught my entire class how to say the n-word to me and that was pretty much the end of it and this is standard in um in a lot of curriculums throughout the calgary cve curriculum and um, I think it's something that needs to be addressed. If you're going to talk about it, you need to actually go into depth about it and figure out where the history of the word is, where it comes from to understand why it is so hurtful to people, as opposed to what happened in that situation when people just thought it was a fun name to say to me and poke at me, and nobody else understood exactly why it was I was feeling how I was feeling when that word was used against me. You know? So you're 10 years old, you're probably, what, grade four, grade five? I mean, how do you... Um how do you go home and tell your mom about that? That that's the curious part to me is how do you bring that to to your parents' attention? I guess. 
You know, my mom was actually quite shocked. Um, I went home and I, I, uh, I asked her what the word meant. And um, her response was jaw drop. And the first thing she asked me is, where did you hear that word from? And to her surprise, I said, my teacher said it to the whole class. You know, so um, like I said, when I was in grade five, I didn't really understand the context of it. But being older and looking back on it now, I realized how unfair that was, truthfully. And um, my teacher was white. Everybody else in my class was white, and I was the only black kid. And it made me feel very small, made me feel very isolated in the in the weeks and the months and the years following that with the same group of students that were in that classroom. Uh, that definitely resonated throughout the rest of my education at that school. Do you see racism as still an issue around this city today? Um, I've been born and raised in this city, and racism is alive and well in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. If you look at what we are known for as a city, we are known for Calgary Stampede, which essentially is cowboys, rodeo, um, and whatever else goes wrong with that. And I don't fit into that, that, that box. I don't fit into that description of what Calgary is about. Um, so when you are living in a city that doesn't really represent you on a, on a large scale, you give safe haven to other people that ostracize minorities who live within the city. And to answer your question straight out, yes, racism is alive and well in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. People like to compare it to the United States. In America, the racism is a lot more out in your face. You know, it's a lot more direct. In Canada, in Calgary, Alberta specifically, it's a lot more covert or subliminal. It's in ways that you being a person that might be standing beside me not even might not even know. You know what I mean? So when there's people that question if, if, if there is racism that exists in the, in the city and there's people telling you, people of color and minorities that have experienced it are saying that it does exist, if you're not from a minority group, you really could never experience it. So how would you know? And the thing that happened with the council and why I think it's beneficial is because you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people coming forward and sharing their stories about racism and racist acts and systematic things and things that happen in their work or at the hospital or with the police force and, sh- and sharing their grievances and their trauma. So to, to try and disregard the fact or try to, you know, decide that it might or maybe or doesn't exist, Unless you have gone through it, you would not know. But at the same point in time, I feel like you should listen to the people who are telling you that it does exist. Put us into Adam Messiah's shoes for a second, because you said that, you know, if you're standing right beside, you may not know. And so give us a a snapshot as to maybe some of those subliminal messages, those things that you see on a day to day basis that maybe someone like me might not understand or might not see. So some of the things that I might experience that you may not experience, you know, if you look at what I am, I'm a young, black, educated male. And as far as North America goes, that's really the scariest thing in a lot of people's eyes. Um, I've been told from people that as soon as I open my mouth, they're shocked. They're like, wow, you're very polite. You're very articulate. You're very well-spoken. So I'm like, okay, so with that, if you're surprised in that, what did you think I was? before I open my mouth. What is my default? My default to you is that I'm a scary person because I'm a young black male. I'm a thug. I'm a gangster. You know, I'm, I'm somebody who should be feared. Um, for example, on a bus, sitting on a, on a seat, and I move over to the side, other people would rather stand than sit beside me. Going into an elevator, people will wait or take the stairs instead of coming up beside me. I've had secret shoppers suck on me or, or put on me in stores for absolutely no reason. I've had, you know, uh, uh, law enforcement pull me over because I fit a description or just ask me for my ID and ask me what I'm doing. These sort of things that, you know, they, they generally don't happen uh, in front of people, but they also do, but you wouldn't know unless it happened to you in that sense. Um, whether it's 
it, it's a lot of it's a lot of things just just like it it's every part of our lives every part of our lives living as a minority within the city and being a young black male there's a lot of it that exists and it's hard for me to try and encompass it all into a short conversation to let you know about how it is but these are a couple of the things that i could say that you probably don't experience i'm pretty sure nobody would be afraid to sit beside you on a bus maybe now because of covid19 i'm pretty <laughs> sure people would share an elevator with you i'm pretty sure you've never had somebody cross the street and clutch their purse because you're there you know what i mean and i'm pretty sure people would already assume that you're articulate and a nice guy if you spoke to them you know what i mean so mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I, I want to keep you on the line, Adam, because I have a couple more questions for you, especially around mm-hmm. what you said at council today. Adam Messiah joining us here. Uh, Calgary kid, I suppose, if you want to say, I, I say Calgary kid because he's born and raised here. Uh, and yet he says that racism alive and well here. Just goes to show as well that I got to watch my vernacular sometimes. I know if, I just call people kids all the time i call you know uh senior citizen hey young man like it's just who i am anyways adam messiah joining us uh, uh from calgary born and raised uh very impassioned conversation at city hall today earlier adam and i wanted to touch on that a little bit not necessarily about what was said but how you felt being able to maybe get this all out into the open to finally have this conversation to finally kind of get the ball rolling on it what does it mean to you to be able to have this um platform to be able to maybe open some eyes across the city you know truth be told um i've had these conversations with close friends colleagues family and all these things before but um it was the first time that i really was able to vocalize some of my experiences in front of a body of council members and even the mayor himself, a group of people that seem as if they have the power to actually make change. And it, it made me emotional. I've been able to become numb to these stories and it seemed to rehash it because it felt like I was actually being listened to for one time from people who might actually have the ability to make a change. I think that what has changed over time, although there has been separate movements that have tried to work towards this, is COVID-19. Um, It took no clubs, no bars, no sports, no work, no anything, and a tragic death of a black male, George Floyd, for the entire world to stop and finally look into these issues that have always existed within our society. Um, I spoke about how it's been my normal, and it has been my normal because I've experienced it so much that I've just become numb to it. And it's not like I've rationalized it. I know that it's wrong, but it's just become my normal, and you can either let it break you down or you can move forward with it. But like I said in my speech to the city council is that I'm not trying to do this for my generation. My dad's generation went through it. My grandfather's generation went through it. I'm looking forward to when I have kids moving forward. I want to try and create a better environment for them so they have equal opportunity. They have fairness and they have the freedom to do what they want without being judged by the pigmentation in their skin, but judged by their character instead. So I think it's, it's very, it was very, uh, it was an emotional day and I think it's, it's great that we're taking these steps towards the right direction. There's a lot of work to be done. Um, even in that conversation with the council, I was up there for about 40 minutes. I only brushed the surface, the tiny top of the surface. You know, there's so much, so many conversations that need to be had. And when you look at systematic racism, you're talking about an entire system. If you look at the Charter of Rights and you look at the Constitution, these, these doctrines were created when black people were not considered people. They were considered property. 
So you expect people to be able to live equally in a society that wasn't created for them. So it's going to be a lot of work to go back and look into our school systems, look into our police systems, look into our healthcare systems, look into our public housing systems, and, and, and address these issues where, where there are minorities, especially black people and aboriginal people within Calgary, Alberta, Canada, that have kind of been you know, left behind the ball. I feel like we're just scratching the surface as well, but it's uh, against the clock, and this is why we continue to have these conversations as well. So we're grateful to have this conversation with you, Adam. Thanks so much for joining us. Definitely. Adam Messiah, again, uh, this is the reason we got to get these voices up. And uh, again, basic human decency is what this is all about here on The Drive. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us this week, and thanks to all of you for downloading and listening. I'd also like to give a shout-out to executive producer Mike Tarasco for all of his hard work in putting the radio show and the podcast together each day. Until next time, thanks again for checking out The Drive on 770-CHQR. Drive with Joe McFarland, 3.30 to 6, weekday afternoons on 770 CHQR.